We're continuing this series, Heroes of the Prayer Closet. And you've probably noticed that we, we live in a culture that has become disillusioned with heroes. We, we seem to have a, a morbid satisfaction when leaders fall. And, and some of our cynicism is, is informed by the reality of human weakness and, and sin. But, but some of that comes from our own insecurities. We don't like the way that capable people make us feel. We don't like the way that that highlights our deficiencies. And so we kind of enjoy it when they're proven to be not so special after all. And maybe even this morning you're thinking, you know, don't tell me about people that had some awesome prayer life. You know, we, we, we don't want to hear about one more thing that we're neglecting. One more thing that we're not doing well. But, but here's why I believe framing this series in this way is so helpful. Because scripture gives us examples to follow. We're not just provided with some vague principles that have never been lived out. We don't just have ideals that are unattainable in real life. We, we have the wisdom of experience. We get to know people's stories. As Ronald showed us last week from James 5, James encourages us to consider Elijah and he reminds us, he, he was a man walking in humanity just like ours. He experienced the same limitations, the same fears, and yet he prayed. And God showed up in miraculous ways. And this morning, we're going to learn from Paul. He'll be our, our next hero. So if you turn to Colossians chapter 1. But I want to begin with a thought from another one of my heroes who recently passed away, a biblical counselor named David Powelson went home to be with the Lord last month after battling pancreatic cancer. And, and this was anticipated news, but, but when, it, when it came, my, my heart just sank because there, there has been no one who's had more influence uh, in my thinking when it, when it comes to how to help people change. And, and I'm just one person among thousands who would say exactly the same thing about this man. Uh, but the past several weeks, I've been revisiting some of his writings. I just love the way that he would frame questions. He writes this, how do destructive people become constructive? How do out of control people become fruitfully self-controlled? How do rigid people become flexible? How do drifty people learn focus? How do hopeless people grow in hope? How do angry people learn to make peace? And even before we can ask how, we must ask why are troubled people troubled? What's wrong with us? Of course, that's what we want to know. Right? What's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? Why, why am I so often anxious or afraid? Why are relationships so difficult for me? And, and what can help me? We want to know that for ourselves and, and for the people that we care about. Our, our friends, our families, our children. How does change actually happen? Where does growth come from? And sometimes that, that can feel so mysterious, so distant and unyielding. And we'll search for any answers that we can find. 
Well, in our passage this morning, Paul prays for the Colossians to experience this. He prays for growth. And in doing so, he he teaches us about how change takes place. And he also teaches us how to pray. We're, We're taken inside of Paul's prayer closet here. We get to hear what he sounds like when he intercedes for the people that he loves. So let's read this together. Colossians 1. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's pray. Father Paul ends with a note of thanksgiving here, as Phil highlighted this morning. What do we have that we have not received from you? And yet we're here this morning, Lord, to receive more. That's what the thankful heart does. We don't don't come somehow to repay you. We, We come with our needs. We come with empty hands. We come to meet with you. We come to hear from you. So God, would you speak to us through your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first, some insights from biblical prayers. We get to hear from Paul's prayer life here. And there are over 650 prayers in the Bible. And we have more written prayers from Paul than almost anyone else in Scripture. I think he's second only to David that we'll learn about next week. But, but here's why biblical prayers are so helpful. They reveal our needs. Now, we, we tend to be oblivious to what we need most. You know, whenever I'm heading on a trip with my family, sometimes we'll have our, our children pack their bags and our kids are six, five, and two. And, you know, they'll load it up with their favorite toys and stuffed animals. They make sure all of that is ready to go. I've never seen them include things like socks or toothpaste, right? We, we don't know some of the things that we need most. Have you ever had somebody pray for you and you were a little bit surprised by what they were praying for? I, I can remember being a teenager and having people pray over me and, and ask that, the Lord would give me humility. And, and I'd respond in that way as well. Tears would come a little bit because, you know, you wonder, uh, do, I have a, a, do they think I have a pride problem? You know, wh- why would they think that I have a pride problem? Uh, well, because I had a pride problem. And, and Paul prays for these things because the Colossians need them. And we do as well. What's amazing here is that these are inspired prayers. They reveal our needs, but they also reveal God's heart. We're not just hearing from Paul. 
We get to listen in on the Holy Spirit. We have God's revealed intentions for us. Which means that when we use these prayers, we're not just asking God for random things. We're praying for the very things that he desires to give. And because of that, biblical prayers teach us priorities for prayer and really for all of life. You know, we pray about what matters to us. What feels most urgent? And that's appropriate because we often pray out of a sense of need. But over time, what we ask for reveals our priorities for life. D.A. Carson raises this question. He says, to restrict ourselves for a moment to the petitions and the prayers of Paul, we must ask ourselves how far the petitions we commonly present to God are in line with what Paul prays for. Suppose, for example, that 80 or 90% of our petitions ask God for good health, recovery from illness, safety on the road, a good job, success in exams, the emotional needs of our children, success in our mortgage application, and much more of the same, right? All, all good things to pray for. How much of Paul's praying revolves around equivalent items, If the center of our praying is far removed from the center of Paul's praying, then even our praying may serve as a testimony of the culture's effect on us in our life and thought. And Paul's going to introduce us to to some things today that are of vital importance and yet they might not often make our prayer list. Biblical prayers also direct us how to pray And whom to pray for. Paul's writing to a congregation that he's never visited personally. Epaphras founded it. And so Paul is praying for for a church that that he doesn't know them. He he doesn't know the, the, the particularities of their setting. He hasn't seen them before. Look at verse 7. Just as you learned it, talking about the gospel, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Right? Insight for when it comes to building your prayer closet. Does your prayer list include people that you have never met personally? I just received an update from Rancho 3M about children. And their needs, the needs of a community there, opportunity for, for God's reach into that surrounding area. Does that show up in our prayer closets? Churches in our region that we are partnered with. We, we shared last week that Pastor Keith was visiting three different churches. We're praying for these people, for global missions, for issues of national significance. For future generations. The the, the size of the kingdom of God ought to inform the size of our prayers. But how do you pray for people that you don't know? In fact, you know, start a question back. How do you pray for anybody? (laughs) You know, maybe this whole prayer thing is, is new to some of us. But what's true for every single one of us is that prayer is difficult, right? We, we get distracted. We have wandering minds. 
You ever start just kind of mentally rearranging stuff in your room and discovering that that would be so much better. If I put it over there, things would look better. I'll just be aware of all the things that I need to accomplish. The easiest thing to pray for is your to-do list. God, help me do this and help me do this and help me do that. I mean, that just rushes to the surface. Of course, those distractions have always existed. Now you have to resist picking up a device that connects you to a thousand people. We have to deal with the fact that our attention span is worse than a goldfish's. And this is the reality of the day that we live in. And we, and we often use vague, repetitive requests. We, we get tired of hearing what we're saying. And, and yet here, we're given biblical specificity. We, we, we get depth. It's not just God bless so and so. There are concrete scriptural goals that we get to pray for that, that adds weight and adds significance to our requests. We have actual words that we get to use. Words that, that prime the pump for prayer. We, we don't stop with the words on the page. But we can start with them. As God brings things to mind. As John Piper has put it. You, you can pray all day. If you pray the Bible. You open it up. And you read a verse. And you turn that back to the Lord. And you pray what he lays upon his, on, on your heart. And then you come to the next verse. And on and on as he leads. You never run out of content. If you're wondering how to do this, all right, two quick resources for you to check out. One would be an excellent little book by Donald Whitney uh, titled Praying the Bible. And he just lays this out, why this is so valuable and just practically how you can do that. Also, our, our Watchman workshop that's available in the LCC app, the, the first session from that, from Pastor Keith on, on personal prayer, he described some of this, but, but Paul gives us rich content to pray. And as, as excited as I am to, to preach this message that I'm more excited for you to take this prayer home with you and put it to use. And, and I've been praying this prayer for you this week. On these verses, there, there's just one sentence. Paul expresses one main request followed by the purpose for that request and then a description for how it will look, its effect in our lives. And so we're going to follow that structure and consider what Paul prays for, why we need it, and how it will show up when God answers. And every phrase in this prayer is just loaded. <laughs> this is worth meditating on and praying out of. And so first, Paul, what Paul prays for. Verse 9. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul regularly prays for knowledge for believers. You can look at some of those references in your notes. Experiencing change in the areas that matter requires that you know something. Of course, Paul doesn't just mean know in, in the sense of getting introduced, getting acquainted. In one sense, the Colossians already know these things. That's what he celebrated in the verses that came before. You know the gospel. You've responded in, in faith. He's not just talking about adding facts 
to your brain. He says that you may be filled with this knowledge. Filled meaning come under its controlling influence. That it would permeate life. That it would affect how they approach everything else. That it would penetrate deep. Life requires knowledge. Life is hard. We, We know this. Life is complex and confusing. We encounter complicated problems. Where do we turn? Where does a sense of understanding come from? How do we get wisdom for the needs that we face? Well, in the information age, much knowledge is available. You're, you're, you're just a, a Google search or an Instagram feed away from somebody offering an explanation for your troubles and a way for you to take back control. And, and we might instinctually turn there as we reach our limits. But, but, but these remedies are based in certain assumptions about reality, about humanity, about the world that we live in. And attempts to remedy can end up doing damage if the right knowledge isn't accounted for. Right? For example, just, just think about Garfield. And by that I don't mean the lasagna-loving cat. But the 20th president of the United States, he, he was assassinated. Um, but it wasn't really the bullet wound that killed him. He survived for weeks after the gunshot. But he had the, 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 the best medical team that the nation could assemble. And, and at first, they, they could not even find where, where, where the bullet was. In fact, Alexander Graham Bell invented the first metal detector in order to discover it. Uh, but you had the, the, these, these doctors reaching in, because this is the day where the, the germ theory of disease is still in its infancy. And so they're taking their grimy fingers and going inside of that wound and sticking in instruments that haven't been sanitized in order to rescue him. There there, there were these unseen factors that they were unaware of and their attempts to help ended up hurting in the process. You, You can know many good things without knowing the most important things. And the Colossians here, they, they were facing their own offers for insight. In chapter 2, Paul's concerned they're, they're being taken in by plausible arguments, what sounded persuasive in their day. Teachers who say they found the secret, and if you could just follow their special steps, then you'll end up being successful. They, they promised knowledge of mysteries, expertise. And the Colossians were beginning to lose focus. But what does Paul mean by the knowledge of his will? What is God's will? Well, that that phrase is used in in, in several ways in Scripture. In one sense, and I believe the primary one here refers to God's purposes. He means seeing reality for what it is. Seeing existence from a God-centered perspective. Knowledge of God's will for history. 
His plan to, to unite all things, all things from every age in Christ. Interpreting everything in light of this. He's talking about a deep appreciation of God's sovereign control. That things do not occur haphazardly. That the, the circumstances we face are not by accident. They're, they're not meaningless. There's a, a deeply embedded meaningfulness in every moment of life. There's a real God who is at work. Who's fulfilling his purposes. He is in charge of everything. From global politics to social media posts. And we need to know this. We need this interpretive lens. The things that, that catch us off guard. That shake us. That disturb us. They're, they're not running off the leash. We need a big picture of the will of God. This is not parochial. God's will doesn't stay inside of this building as you exit into the normal places of life, right? Sometimes we think that. Like, God reigns in here, but it's just brute force and chance that are in charge out there. At least that's the way that we drive when we're stuck in traffic, right? Might makes right. There's no God on the scene. We're just desperate to get to where we need to go on time because everything will fall to pieces if we don't arrive and we just see all the dominoes falling as fate plays out. That can be our functioning belief system. Paul's talking about something incredibly large and deep. It's all encompassing. Colossians describes something that reaches to every corner of the universe and into all eternity. Without this knowledge, life gets narrowed to our small agendas and those shift and change day by day, don't they? Whatever it is that we think that we need to survive, whatever it is that we are currently animated about or impatient because the people in our world aren't going along with the plan. We become myopic. We lose perspective. We're overcome by our burdens and our fears. We feel abandoned. We begin to write our own script. We need an active awareness of the will of the living God. Listen, whatever information you interact with, and there are a million helpful things on the internet, Amidst a million unhelpful things, right? Unless, unless this is in and underneath how you think about life, you are sentencing yourself to an anxious existence. Whatever good things you might learn, whatever practical strategies that help, whatever explanations about personality or society or genetics or psychology. You need to know this. You need to see the God who directs the whole show, who runs it all. And only God can give you this. That's why we pray. 
That's why we, we plead with him, fill us with this knowledge. Lift it off of the pages of Colossians 1 and drive it deep into the motivating and controlling centers of who we are. This phrase also refers to what God wants for our lives. Or God's commandments. One commentator describes this as an intelligent grasp of what the will of God demands in daily living. He says, Paul's praying that God would fill believers with the Spirit in order that they would build their ethical lives skillfully. What does God want? What does he want at the level of the big picture? What does he want in the, the, the particular details of the choices that we face, of our habits and our character. Psalmist prays in Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me. And, and the amazing thing is we, we don't have to guess. <laughs> you know, we, we are given God's will in scripture, everything that we need in order to live a faithful life. But, but Romans 12, 2 says that we discern the will of God through a renewed mind, a sanctified mind can, can discern how, how God's commands, how, how his principles speak into every situation. It, it helps us to see what is out of sync with God's will for life. We're, we're enabled to live wisely. To respond in ways that reflect the character of God. Ephesians 5.15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And notice the logic there. Because the days are evil. The days are confusing. The days bring with them unique temptations. And that's the third thing here, that we have God's direction. There's a subjective dimension to this as well. Paul talks about all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's insight into what God is doing in the current moment, in the current hour of need and in the conditions that we face right now. Pastor Keith has described this as Kairos time. In, in, in this day, in our time, what are his intentions as we interact with life? How is the Spirit illuminating our circumstances, helping us to see their true spiritual conditions Giving insight into what natural perception is not able to arrive at. The the more than flesh and blood dynamics of what we wrestle with. What is he revealing about the inner workings of the heart in ourselves and in the people that we care about? We need this. An increasing experience of the Spirit's leading. We can't afford to be oblivious to our times or deaf to the voice of God. So Paul 
prays for them. This is the sum of his request for them and, and we should pray for this as well. That's why in the little prayer guide you've been given for, for this summer, there, there's a section there for waiting and for listening to the Spirit and what he directs. The question is, why do we want knowledge and insight? Why do we want to understand life and receive help? So that life becomes more comfortable? So that the problems go away? So that things feel more manageable and we stop freaking out? Is that the goal? Does that count as answered prayer for you? Why do we need this? Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. This is the ambition of the believer. We, we want everything to answer to this. Fully pleasing, it literally renders unto every type of pleasing, every facet of life. There's a strategy that's in, implied through this. As, as one writer has put it, devising innovative ways of pleasing him. We want Christ to take pleasure in our attitudes and actions and motives and habits. This is the kind of growth and change that we long for. Why do we do the things that we do? What do we look to to motivate us to engage? What kind of appeal do I have to make to, to convince you to face tomorrow? What's the presentation? What's the incentive for you to, to continue to, to endure a difficult marriage? Right? Why, why risk people's approval by speaking the truth? Why say no to ease when love requires more? Why not give in to temptation? Why? Because that's what Jesus wants. That's what brings him joy. That's the mission. And the good news is that this is not circumstantially based. We can change your surroundings tomorrow. And the mission hasn't changed. Paul, Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians from prison. And this is what he lives for. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. At home and away, he's using nice language for dead or alive. Whether I have a breath tomorrow or I breathe my last today. We make it our aim to please him. Whether your children cooperate or not. Whether you are employed or not. Whether people are pleased or not. We can please him. Is that your goal? Is that what you're trying to accomplish? 
Because you, you will give yourself to serve someone or something. You, you will give your thoughts and your planning and your energy to please someone or something. And whatever that is, that will rule you. And, and, and your, your sense of well-being and security in life will be attached to that. And wherever it goes, so goes your joy. So goes the sense that life is okay. Life is in bounds as you look to that master as to whether or not you've been faithful in serving it. That will get your attention. David Powelson again says, here's that most basic question which God poses to each human heart. Has something or someone besides Jesus the Christ taken the title to your heart's functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? Questions bring some of people's idol systems to the surface, right? We, we give these quotes here not just so that we can think that's interesting and move on to the next point. You, you, you can take these questions into your prayer closet and visit with the Lord. To who or what do you look for life-sustaining stability, security, and acceptance? What do you really want and expect out of life? What would really make you happy? What would make you an acceptable person? Where do you look for power and success? These questions are similar ones. Tease out whether we serve God or idols. Whether we look for salvation from Christ or from false saviors. And the book of Colossians was written to distinguish Christ from every counterfeit. From false saviors. Saviors, and not just in our formal statement of faith, but in our functional beliefs. And, and Paul, Paul treats Christ so personally here. Jesus is not a concept to him. He's not an abstract idea. He is a person who can be pleased. Or shamed through what we do, through how we approach life. And he asks, what is, what is conduct worthy of Christ? What shows his surpassing value, right? As we sang today, worthy is the lamb who was slain. This is the longing of the Christian heart. Not, how can I feel better about myself? How can life conform to my expectations? How how can I only have to do what feels reasonable to me? But how can I please him? And Paul sees Jesus as the kind of person worth pleasing. Everything else is loss. All, All other ambitions and goals got an instant downgrade when he encountered Jesus on the Damascus road. That's what he says in Philippians 3. The the things I thought were gain, the things I thought were adding to life, that were increasing my status, that were making me somebody, making me feel good about myself, 
They, they, they went from the credit column to the debit instantly in comparison to his value. It, it's striking to, to see moments in history when, when a, a currency of a nation suddenly lost its value. You'll, you'll see pictures of people walking around with wheelbarrows of cash. And it's like they're heading to the grocery store. Because, because of inflation, that, that's how, how much they have to bring in order to buy the food that they need. I heard of, of one account of, of someone living in the Weimar Republic after the First World War. And, and there was this man who had, who, who had opened up an insurance policy and made payments every month on it for 20 years. And when he went to, to go draw from it, he had just, a, amount, uh, just enough to buy a loaf of bread. And, and we can make dutiful payments to things that never reward in the way that we are so convinced they will. And Paul is saying, Jesus never disappoints. We need to see him in this way. Throughout this letter, Paul is pressing this upon the Colossians. He is Christ in you, the hope of glory. They'd become fascinated with other things, other trending ideas and practices and, and personalities had become influential in, in a way that had de- displaced Christ from the center of their attention. And, and the false teachers that they were tempted to listen to, they, they had reduced Christ to relative importance. Yeah, he's a nice starter messiah. He'll help you get your life back on track. But if you really want to go deep, if you, if you really want to experience success, then you needed to follow their program. Paul is calling them back to amazement at Jesus. And he just layers on descriptions from verse 15 onward. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the honored firstborn over all creation. All things were created through him and for him. In him, all things hold together. Everything exists. Every atom in our body is by his permission, by him continuing to to think us into being. He's the first one back from the dead, having killed death itself. In him, we have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins, the thing that we need most, has been settled by him in everything. He is preeminent. He has reconciled all created reality to himself. There's not a molecule in all of existence that isn't under his dominance. That hasn't been redefined by what he's accomplished in his death and resurrection. And Paul wants them to see the omni-relevance of Jesus Christ. To be impressed by his capacities, to see him as possessing all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, to see every need in life and every broken condition in this world finding their remedy in him. And so he casts the spotlight on him again and again. It it is impossible to know someone who has the qualifications 
that Jesus has in Colossians 1 and find him to be uninteresting? How can you know someone like this and rather binge watch Netflix? And and in prayer, we, we get to speak to him. We get to commune with him. And yet it's so easy for other things to animate us, to make us anxious. This this is content worth meditating on. John Piper writes, this is worth memorizing. If your heart ever wavers and grows cold, go here. Memorize this litany of glories and ask God to give you affections that correspond to the measure of this greatness. If any person or any power, or any wisdom, or any love awakens any admiration, or any amazement, or any joy, let it be the greatest person, and the greatest power, and the greatest wisdom, and the greatest love that exists. Jesus Christ. And the good news is this. If your heart, like mine, many times, doesn't feel this way about Jesus, doesn't respond to him with this desire. You don't have to be static. Listen, the the act of praying that you would please Christ when it is met with faith will have the effect of increasing in you a desire to please him. That's another reason why praying scripture is so significant. It, it, it shapes us. It fans desires into flame. David Mathis says, prayer to God is not only the place for divulging our heart, right, unburdening our needs before God, but also developing our desires. There's power here. Prayer changes our hearts like nothing else. Perhaps especially when we follow the prayers of the Bible in the Psalms or from the Apostle as guides for the shaping and expression, expressing of our desire toward God. And you see Colossians 1 makes the list there. We, we, we need to experience this in prayer. And we need people in our lives praying these realities over us. Praying that God would would give us a desire to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There, there, there is no greater gift that you can give for the people that you love than to pray that they would hunger to please Christ. Nothing satisfies like serving him. Well, what will be the effect when God answers? How do you know that he's responded? What's that going to look like? It'll look like fruitful living. Verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. Being connected to the source produces fruit. Roots that that run deep in the knowledge of God. When when they thirst for and, and soak up the glory of Christ, they they lead to branches that grow and bear fruit. 
And he talks about every kind of good work. He, he anticipates a, a variety here that, that we would be discerning new areas of fruitfulness that we haven't yet been aware of. This gives us a renewed perspective in how we engage life. You know, when our goal isn't just how to cope, you know, how to live stress-free, how to feel okay. It's now faith working through love. We're freed to serve. When the aim of our charge is love flowing from a pure heart, we can be fruitful even when life feels frenzied. Even, even if we haven't arrived at whatever the latest image of tranquility scrolling across your, your screen has come. <laughs> you know, so often that There'll be a word, peace, and it's attached to some scene with somebody holding a coffee mug overlooking misty mountains. And you look around in your life and it's just chaos. It looks nothing like that image. Right? You can be fruitful even when life never looks that way. That's what Jeremiah 17 says. We, we can be fruitful in the desert. When the heat is turned up because our trust is in the Lord. Our roots are drawing from the stream. And, and that gets to be enjoyed by the people around us. Christians who know God's will and desire to please Christ are active fruit-bearing people. We get to work. Every good work. We, we reach out to the grieving. We relieve suffering. We engage in justice. We open our homes. We share the gospel. We encourage others. We take steps in ministry. We don't just retreat inward because life right now is difficult or disappointing. As Jen Oshman has put it, even when life doesn't feel hashtag blessed, we can still be a blessing. To the people around us. That's what Paul is saying here. And this availability to the work of God. It leads to an increasing knowledge of God. Right? Increasing in the knowledge of God. And we might think. Is is this deja vu? If I were Pastor Peter. I would then say. Is this deja vu? Some of you will get that in a minute. Um, But I'm not him. So I won't say that. You know, is Paul just running out of stuff to say? Recycling requests. Notice how this works. The heart that longs to know God. That desires to please Christ. That's available to fruitful living. Leads to a deepening knowledge and conviction and experience of who God is. Jesus says in John 7 that if our will is to do God's will, then we know the truth from God. Carson writes, but as you get busy in the business of obedience, you get to know God better. That in turn impels you to more obedience, which in turn opens up new vistas in the knowledge of God and his will. 
Right? We, we, we've talked about and pastorally we feel the challenge of just the, the pace of life. The capacity that we have, not just to hear something, not just to allow sound waves to travel in a meeting like this, but for that to be received and absorbed into who we are and to be taken and to begin to affect us. It's like we, we, we come with such, I, I know I struggle with this, just, just limited capacity to add one more thing, one more thing to know, to be compelled by. To, to feel its influencing effect. But, but as, as we walk in obedience, as we take steps of faith, new windows get opened up. New insight into God. So do not be discouraged. As, as, you, as you enter your prayer closet this summer, as you, as you push past the challenges that presents. You, you are growing your capacity to receive from God in settings like this and in every ordinary place in life. It shows up in empowered, joyful endurance. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And, and, and the word for endurance, it, it describes this, this resolute posture, this, this sticking it out in, in the ways that life pushes on us, tries to, to give us to, to cave in and to, and to move. You're standing ground. The word for, for, for patience, it, it describes a, a long-suffering, a, a contentment, a desire not to retaliate when we are hurt. So Paul's talking about challenging circumstances and difficult people. Right, this has always existed as a problem for humanity, but, but culturally, we are so thin on patience, right? You, you swipe down if the screen doesn't load right away. Something's wrong. I, I, why do I pay Cox Cable so much money for such slow internet, you know? We, we want answers immediately. We want to see change. We want to see things different, we, we, we are so ready to move on from people when they become complicated, when we're just tired of trying to figure them out. I don't even know how to have a conversation with you. You don't think like me. You always respond in ways that are unpredictable. And, and, and the world around us says, you don't need those people holding you down. You do you, you move on. And patience and endurance run so thin. We want quick relief. We become grumpy or despondent. We need power. Love the way that this is expressed. Literally be empowered with all power according to the might of his glory. We need power. Power for long seasons. Power for bearing under trial. Power for facing unmet expectations. Power for endurance. And then notice that phrase he adds onto there. And it makes all the difference, doesn't it? 
with joy. A joyful endurance. That, that's power. That's when people know something supernatural is in play here. That we wouldn't be the kind of people who are surprised by suffering, who feel entitled to a better life, who are prone to complain, who are ready to move on from people when they are uncooperative or make us uncomfortable. That there would be this persistent, inexplicable joy. If you've been around here long enough, you know that the the philosophers and poets that we quote tend to be switchfoot. Right, Phil? And they've got a song, and it says, Hallelujah, nevertheless, was the song the pain couldn't destroy. Hallelujah, nevertheless, you're my joy invincible. Joy invincible. It looks like Terry Roboski undergoing painful treatment for skin cancer and yet willing to make herself look like a fool at VBS in order to serve kids. It it looks like Daniel Strickland providing round-the-clock care for his mom, even with the difficult relationship that they've had over the years. This looks like many of you persevering through tears and sorrow and depression, but fighting to hold on to the Lord. And then this joy overflows in thanksgiving. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. And notice that that Thanksgiving, it's it's setting, it's found in circumstances that require endurance. Right? It's found in undesired situations. Things that haven't yet changed. But there's more in play here. Who's the father? He's the father who through Christ has qualified you to share in this inheritance who has written you into his will. There is an abundance that we have access to. And and your prayer closet, your, your times of drawing near to the Lord, that That's when you look at the balance. That's when you're reminded of the riches. That's when you see the treasures of Jesus Christ. That's when you're you're humbled by the mercy of God toward your sin and toward your stubbornness and he forms in you the kind of person who is merciful to others. That's when you come away grateful for how he has poured upon you as we sang today. Blessing after blessing in Christ. Eric, if you come back up, we get to access and appropriate everything the Father has given through prayer. Timothy Keller says this. We've shared this thought with you before. This is such a helpful picture. He writes, imagine you get a notice that someone left you some money But for various reasons, you assume it is a very modest amount. 
You get busy and don't get around even to checking on it for a while. Finally, you do so and are thunderstruck to discover it was a fortune. And you had not been doing anything with it. You were actually rich, but had been living poor. This is what Paul wants his Christian friends to avoid. And only through an encounter with God in prayer can they avoid it. This may be where you are. You are in him. You are adopted into the father's family. You have the very divine life in you, the Holy Spirit. You are loved and accepted in Christ. You know about these things. And yet on another level, you don't know them. You don't grasp them. To use Paul's language today, you aren't filled with them. You're still dogged by your bad habits. Often anxious or bored or discouraged or angry or envious of the people around you because you think that God has been cheap to you and you become angry and you become impatient for anybody that you think he has treated more favorably. You don't have the kind of family relationships that they have. You don't have the kind of job or position that they have. You haven't had the same experiences and opportunities And you conclude somewhere in the inner places of your soul that leads to how you feel and how you act. God has not done good by you. Listen, this this is why believers who are caught up in jealousy and strife and discontent and unforgiveness toward others, you, you know they haven't visited their prayer closet. That's been, that's that's grown thin because there's there's something that happens in us when you go and and you open up the bank account and you remember, I'm a billionaire and it never runs out. This, This currency will never fail. It reaches into all eternity. And the result is Thanksgiving. You may have many specific problems and issues that need to be faced and dealt with through various specific means, yet the root problem of them all is that you are rich in Christ, but nevertheless living poor. That's why Paul prays that they would experience thanksgiving, which is another way of saying Paul, Paul prays that they would pray. I mean, Thanksgiving is a form of, of prayer. Thanksgiving, it, it launches you in a Godward direction. I've heard it said that the moment you give thanks, you enter the presence of God. Because we're, we're thanking the one who's in control of life. The one who has been abundant to us. The one who has made us rich in Christ. We are aware of his goodness. We are thankful of his sovereign will that sets the purpose for our existence. We see again the beauty and the worth 
of Jesus and we are so grateful that we are his and we just want to bring pleasure to him. Let's stand together. Father God, I pray for the body at Lakeview Christian Center that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, deep within us, Or being what influences everything else would be this consciousness that you are in charge, that you reign, that you teach us how to live, that you give wisdom for the complex needs and problems that we face, that you, you help us discern our circumstances in ways that no news update in this world could possibly provide. God, give us that knowledge. Help us to see reality for what it is. Help us to be comforted by your reign, your purposes. Help us to know your your heartbeat, your desires for life. That you would lead us To walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fully pleasing to him. God would. His response. His commendation. God would. Would that be what we stare at? God there's no like on a post from another person. There, There are no accolades. There's no sense of accomplishment that any creature in this world could give us that could eclipse the awareness that the one in whom every molecule of existence is held together loves what we're doing takes joy in our faithfulness in our obedience and God that settled conviction and desire would lead us to be fruitful God, lead us to engagement. Lead lead us to lift our eyes from the things that have just been discouraging and and kept us inside of ourselves and, and Lord, cause us to move toward other people and move toward ministry and move toward faith working through love. God, that this would look like a growing knowledge of you. A growing hunger to know you growing ability to receive from you when you are imparting truth God it would be demonstrated powerfully in patient endurance and joy in situations that just it's, it's inexplicable why are we not frenzied and freaking out in this moment that we would labor in love 
because of your strengthening and the glory of your might. And that we would be thankful people with our eyes on the inheritance that's ours. And God, now we respond in thanksgiving, in song, and we ask for your help. Lord, we ask for your help this week as we draw near to you, as we draw near on Wednesday night and bring needs and conditions before you, God. Lord, add to the 10,000 reasons and more that we have for our hearts to sing.